ek het gevoel ons moet die woord in die begin doen. We must do the word uh, in the beginning so that we can better respond to it uh, in worship and in the end. And um, yeah, the Lord is doing something amazing at the moment. Um, and, and it might be uncomfortable for some <laughs> what the Lord is doing. Uh, because I truly believe that he's, he's busy moving us, I, I almost want to say out of, out of our boxes, but it's not, it's, not, it's not that he's moving us out of our boxes. Uh, I, I don't think he wants to sort of move us out of our boxes. He wants to move us into more. Into his box, says Ryan, you see. For for many, for many years, I think I sort of knew this, and I was sort of dissatisfied with with the way. Um, yeah, I must choose my words wisely. With what we've been experiencing as church, and as a church. And this, this satisfaction, you sort of easily go and you put down to uh, leadership and leadership choices and all those kind of things. And then you find yourself even sometimes in your heart rebelling against leadership, which is not the, the will of God at all. Uh, but it doesn't say that what you're experiencing and feeling is, is wrong, <laughs> if I can put it like that. I think there's a discomfort in all of us when it comes to church at the moment, or a, a discontent, let me put it, rather put it that way, when it comes to church. Because I truly, truly believe, and, 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 it's, and it's becoming more and more clear to me that there's more, there's more that the Lord wants for us. But the more is not, listen to this, the more is not the manifestations. The manifestations is a fruit of the more, but it is not what He wants for us. And I think what, where the church has gone wrong, moving away from what originally happened when the Lord poured out His Spirit, is that the church started to go after the manifestations, but forgot about God. And that is why He says in Revelations to the church of Ephesians, I hold this thing against you. You have forgotten your first love. You have moved away from your first love. And I spent most of yesterday reading a little book that Riney gave to me in the week. Uh, looking into the sort of the start of the Pentecostal movement and the, revi the Welsh revival in, in 1904. And then after that, um, there was an English revival in 1907. And, and all of that 
All of those things were started with this one thing, one desire. Is people coming together and praying, not for, not for hours, not for days, for years. Weekly, daily, regularly praying for one thing, holiness. That they will come to the place where their hearts are once again what the Lord has created it to be. Holy. And because they earnestly sought this, because they earnestly sought the Lord and sought, sought His face, the Lord blessed them with His presence and in His presence there are all these things. So, I want to read this psalm, Psalm 27. And I'm going to read it from the, amplif uh, the, yeah, the Amplified. Uh, and then I'm going to read a long piece of other scripture as well. But listen to this. The Lord is my light and my salvation. It's up there, yeah. Whom shall I fear or dread? The Lord is my refuge and stronghold of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked, even my enemies and my foes, come upon me to eat me, uh, eat up my flesh, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, even then in this will I be confident. And then he comes to the heart of the thing of his life. See, why could he say all this? Because it doesn't matter. That's not his focus in life. His focus is not on his enemies. His focus is not on those who come against him. His focus is not about the things of this life. He says, one thing I have asked of the Lord. Not protection from my enemies, not all those kind of things, not the things that, are, that sorts out the cares and the worries of my life. One thing I ask of the Lord that I will seek, inquire for, and insistently require that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, in His presence, all the days of my life. Not just Sundays, not just when it's community, not just when, it's, when we come together for the purpose of being with the Lord. All the days of my life, that I might dwell in His presence. Insistently ask this of the Lord. To behold and gaze upon the beauty, the sweet attractiveness and the delightful loveliness of the Lord and to meditate, consider and inquire in His temple. For in the day of trouble He will hide me in His shelter. In the secret place of His tent will He hide me. He will set me high upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies, um, ach, above up above my enemies round about me. And his tent, in his tent I will offer sacrifices and shouting for joy I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Philip, vision Hear, O Lord, when I cry aloud. Have mercy and be gracious to me and answer me. You have said, seek my face, inquire for and require my presence as you vitally need. 
My heart says to you, your face, your presence, Lord, will I seek. Inquire for and require of uh, the necessity and of the authority of your word. Hide not your face from me. Turn not your servant away in anger. You who have been my help, cast me not off, neither forsake me, O God of my salvation. Let's, let's stop there with this psalm. I'm, I'm, I'm just so very aware that I myself are way, 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 way too comfortable and too uh, satisfied with eating the crumbs that fall off the table. Way too satisfied with just getting my weekly fix. Way too satisfied with even just getting my daily morning fix when I pray in the morning or whatever. And you get your, like, okay, now I'm good for the day. And then you go and you be on your own, in the flesh, doing what the world does. And then tomorrow we come again and we get our fix and then we go and do what the world does. And that is not what the Lord desires for us. That is not what Jesus gave his life for. We spoke, uh, we had a braai uh, with some people in the week and there by the fire we, we just spoke about some of these things. And one of the things that came out is we, we must come to the place where we, where we learn to be engulfed and fully in the presence of the Lord all day long. One thing I require of the Lord, that I may dwell in His presence all the days of my life. See, David understood something, and I, I know that many of us have felt this, have experienced this. I have um, certainly, even last week was like, was like this, was sort of the Lord gave me enough to make me like want more. It's like someone presenting somebody with a highly addictive substance, you know, but you give them just enough so that they come back to you. For more and be willing to pay a lot for it. And my prayer has been yesterday as well in my study, I was just sort of lying there and just praying, Lord, would you come and would you would you give us enough for us to want more? Would you give us enough for us to become addicted to, to your presence and to you? And that's why I'm saying the Lord is doing something in this church. The Lord is changing something. And once again, it's not about the manifestations. But it will come. It will be there. But that is not what we're after. That's certainly not what I'm after. 
I'm after one thing. Is that I may dwell in His presence all the days of my life. Because there's, there's nothing outside of it. That's why Paul could say, I count all things lost compared to the experiential knowledge, His presence of knowing God. Everything else is garbage to me, he says. Everything else is garbage. And, and I'm telling you that by the grace of God that this is something I almost want to say that I want to hunt down in this church. But it's going it's to take it's going to take devotion. It's going to take prayer a lot and a lot and a lot of prayer and seeking God. But I want to show you this from, from Hebrews. Hebrews 9. We should actually have like read the whole thing from Hebrews 8, 9, and 10. But let's just sort of make the point here with 9. And you can go and read this at home. Uh, I've read this over this weekend in, I think, every single translation in my house. That's everything. <laughs> Hebrews 9. <laughs> All of them. <laughs> now he says, Now even the first covenant had its own rules and regulations for divine worship. And it had a sanctuary, but one of this world. Now a man-made sanctuary. A human sanctuary. It's a psalm. For a tabernacle or a tent was erected in the outer division or compartment of which were the lampstand and the table with its loaves of the showbread set forth. This portion is called the holy place. But inside, beyond the second curtain or veil, there stood another tabernacle or division known as the holy of holies. And the, the earlier translations, the King James says, the holiest of all. And I want us to understand this with the mindset of going deeper. There's the holy place with all these stuff, the showbread and the candles and, and all those kind of things. And everything had a specific meaning. Everything had a specific purpose that it needed to be there. Okay, we're not going to go into that right now. Then he talks, he says, then there's a veil. And this veil was like thick. It wasn't like a little curtain that you draw like this, I think it was like 20 centimeters thick, this piece of cloth that separated the Holy of Holies and the Holy Place. All right. So you couldn't just go through it or peek through it. It, it was literally a separation. Okay. And then, so this Holy Holies had the golden altar of incense and the ark, the chest of the covenant, covered over with wrought gold, 
This ark contained a golden jar which held the manna and the rod of Aaron that sprouted and the two stone tablets of the covenant. Okay, I just want to make a comment on this. So when I read this, I just, every time I read this, I kept thinking. So the holy place have things that represent works. The holy of holies have things that present the mystery of God. Manna literally means mystery. The stick, a walking stick that started to bud, represents life coming out of something that was dead. The tablets represents the righteousness of God and His heart and His will. All in the holy of holies. All right. In gold. And then there are above the ark and overshadowing the mercy seat were the representations of the cherubim, winged creatures which were, which were the symbols of glory. We cannot go into detail about these things. These arrangements having thus been made, the priests enter habitually into the outer division of the tabernacle in performance of their ritual acts of worship. Now listen to this. The priests entered into the altars, into the holy place, where they performed their habitual or ritual acts of worship. But it could only take them as far as the holy place. It could not take them into the holy of holies. And I believe that as a church we have become satisfied with being in the outer court and not going into the Holy of Holies where the presence of God is, where the mystery of God is revealed. We are where we are transformed into His image. the place reserved for the high priest, which had to go through also days of ritualic cleansing before they could go in there. Jesus says you can't pour new wine into old wineskins. And he said this to the Pharisees. We cannot keep on doing the things we have always done, calling it church and being satisfied with just habitual and ritualic, ritualistic works. Because we will miss out on what God has originally called us to. And that is to walk with Him. To be with Him. When God made Adam and Eve, He made them to walk with them. To be in their presence and for them to be in His presence. Can we imagine the heartbreak 
of God. When sin came upon his creation, his beloved Adam and Eve. Can we imagine what God must have felt, the grief in his heart, when he came to the garden looking for them to walk with them and to talk with them and to reveal himself to them? And all of a sudden they're hiding away because of this shame. That was the first divorce that took place because of unfaithfulness. And that's why the Lord loathes that. Because He knows the hurt and the pain that it causes. Not because of anything else. Because He knows the hurt and the pain. He knows the destruction. He's experienced it. And I believe God's desire all throughout the history of salvation all throughout what we read in the Bible, all throughout the, the New Testament, God is working with this plan for this one thing to bring us back to Him, to bring us back into this magnificent mystery and closeness and oneness and beauty and, and awe. <laughs> of us being close and one with Him. I believe it's His desire above all things for us. More than any tasks that He wants us to complete, more than any works that He wants us to do, more than anything that we think that we can do for God, He wants this one thing. That we seek to be with Him where He is. To be in His presence all the days of our life. And the beautiful thing is that has been made available for us. And that's where we're going. So, what is ons? Siva. But into the second division of the tabernacle, none but the high priest goes, and only once a year, and never without taking a sacrifice of blood with him, when he offers for himself and for the errors and the sins of ignorance and thoughtlessness which the people have committed. By, his holy <coughs> excuse, by this the Holy Spirit points out that the way into the true Holy of Holies is not yet thrown open as long as the former, the outer portion of the tabernacle, remains a recognized institution and is still standing. What is this saying? What I'm reading in this, and you're free to correct me if I'm wrong, but what I'm reading here, that is as long as we focus on our ritualistic relationship with the Lord, we will not enter the Holy of Holies. As long as we want to work to become closer to Him, we will not enter the Holy of Holies. 
There is no amount of good things, no amount of right things, no amount of, of, of anything we can do right for the sake of coming closer to Him that will break open that veil. That is why when I read those things, the prayers of all these people that were seeking the Lord and seeking revival and all that, the, the position that they took is not, Lord, I'm going to try harder. I'm going to do better. I'm going to try do my best. I'm going to all that. He said, literally, John G. Lake said, Lord, I am tired of trying. I'm tired of doing everything right. I'm try- tired of trying to like be this thing and I'm ex- not experiencing what I know that you want me to experience. I'm tired of, tired of doing it. Would you please come and would you take my heart and turn it to you? Would you please make me hungry enough for you? Would you please give me the hunger and the desire that I need for you? Would you enable me to even spend enough time in prayer? What I say? So the answer is not now going and watching a movie at home. Waiting for the Lord to just randomly come. There's a psalm that says, Be still and wait patiently for God to act. And that wait is an active waiting. It's a, it's, a, it's a coming to Him and taking the posture of coming on, on your knees or on your face or wherever you want to go and you just say, Lord, I'm waiting for You. I'm waiting for You. I'm waiting for You. I desire You more than anything else. I'm thinking of that verse where the disciples asked Jesus. They said, then what must we do, Lord, to do the works of God? Jesus says, the only work you must do is believe in the Son. It talks of a posture that we take before the Lord. And say, Lord, because of you. We have, to, we have to come into a partnership with the Lord. We have to come in partnership with what He has already done. We can not separate me. But we cannot do the work. What's that verse in Philippians? But say, it is God who does and wills in you. To do according to his pleasure. Okay. By his Holy Spirit, he has pointed out um, that as long as the tabernacle remains a recognized institution and is still standing, seeing that the first outer portion of the tabernacle was a a parable, a visual symbol or a type or picture of the present age. In it, gifts and sacrifices are offered and yet are uh, incapable of perfecting the conscience or of cleansing and renewing the inner man of the worshiper. Mm. 
talks about the condition of the heart. What did Jesus say? How did Jesus describe the condition of man before he was crucified? He said, out of the heart of man comes all kinds of wickedness. See, the condition of man could not be changed by ritualistic religion. That was only for the outside, the hands. That was only for, it was a shadow of what Jesus wanted to do. That was a shadow of the cleansing of the inner man. But the inner man could never be cleansed by the blood of goats and calves and oshandet nolies. Yes. 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 And I think God is also saying, pay attention to this blood of Jesus. Absolutely. That will get you in the inner Absolutely. Yeah. We. It's coming. It's coming. Let's go verse ten. For the ceremonies deal only with clean and unclean meats and drinks, and different washings, mere external rules and regulations for the body imposed to tide the worshippers over until the time of setting things right or straight, of uh, reformation, of the complete new order when Christ, the Messiah, shall establish the reality of what these things foreshadow, a better covenant. But the appointed time came when Christ the Messiah appeared as a high priest of the better things that have come and that are to come. Then, through the greater and more perfect tabernacle not made with human hands, that is, not a part of this material creation, He went in once for all into the Holy of Holies, even heaven, not by virtue of the blood of goats and calves, uh, by which to make reconciliation between God and man, but His own blood, having found and secured a complete redemption, an everlasting release for us. For if the mere sprinkling of unholy and defiled persons with blood of goats and bulls and with the ashes of a burnt heifer is sufficient for the purification of the body. How much more surely shall the blood of Christ, who by virtue of His ex uh, eternal spirit, His own pre-existent uh, pre divine personality, has offered Himself as an unblemished sacrifice to God, purify our consciences from the dead works and lifeless observances to serve the everlasting God. Now here's something else that I saw that I just want to put on the table. Is the sacrificial stuff, the, the, the goats and the heifers and the ashes and all those kind of things were for the superficial, the, the exterior things. It was for, let's call it the body, to be purified. But then he says, but the blood of Jesus, uh, uh, 
sort of a better blood. He has offered to purify our inner man, our conscience. What does that say about it, it was offered for the heavenly things. See, the, the, while man was with, still without Jesus, the only way that we could operate, the, the only thing we were, were flesh. So we needed to deal with the flesh, with the superficial things. But the superficial things will only deal with your flesh. And we all know this. That if we do the superficial things that deal with the flesh, it sort of appeases and it brings peace to your flesh for a while and then it comes back again. Ne? We've tried dealing with sin in our lives through the superficial things. Trying hard not to do it. Trying hard to break the habit. Trying hard to like, I don't know, making habits, making good habits to break bad habits. So you start drinking coffee instead of smoking. But when the blood of Jesus comes, it does something to your spirit, man, to your inner being. Making it new, making it, making you a new and completely new creature. Ne? 2 Corinthians 5.17 And then the old can be cast aside. The old can be dealt with. The old can be put away. Then you don't need to make good habits to break bad habits. Amen. Then you just have to start walking in the newness of life. In who He has made you. In the creation. So the blood of, of the, the heifers and the cows and all this kind of stuff could have dealt with like the everyday stuff. And sort of kept, I think it's there somewhere, that kept God at bay. But when the blood of Jesus came, it appeased God. It satisfied his wrath against sin because now you are a transformed creation Christ the Messiah verse 15 is therefore the negotiator and mediator of an entirely new agreement a testament or a covenant so that those who are called and offered it may receive the fulfillment of the promised everlasting inheritance. There are many different views of what this inheritance is. Many people, I spoke to someone uh, in the week who spoke to me about the golden streets and uh, how everything was just going to be nice and perfect in heaven and there's not going to be dust and there's not going to be because everything's going to be golden and and all that. And that's what they're looking forward to through, through their salvation. And others are dreaming about their big mansions that they will get because they've put themselves last year on earth. 
And others are focusing very hard on making for themselves treasure in heaven and not treasure on earth. I believe our true inheritance is this, to be in His presence. That is the one thing that I want. I don't think I'll ever be in my house or mansion or whatever um, that, God, that God has given me. I'm not going to be there. I want to be at His feet, worshipping Him day and night. I want to look in His face and just experience the newness of Him and the, the awe of Him and the, the majesty and the glory of Him. I, don't, I wouldn't care about my house and my work or whatever I have to go and do. I can't dross. I'm not going to work there. I want to just go be with Him. Get like I'm going back. Ek werk nou hard genoeg. The beautiful thing is that we don't have to wait for heaven. We don't have to wait to die to be in His presence. And that is what I believe He really wants for us. We don't have to come to church to experience His presence in the 20 minutes of worship before the time. We don't have to go and find the perfect community group that gives you all those things. What if you could come to church already having been in His presence all week long? What would then happen in a in a meeting. What would happen in your communities if you come filled with, with the experience of the Lord all week and you can't wait to share what the Lord is doing in you and through you? That's what church was supposed to look like. Let's just read on. It's going to worship. Verse 16. For where there is a last will and testament involved, the death of the one who made it uh, must be established. For a will and testament is valid and takes effect only at death, since it has no force or legal power as long as the one who made it is alive. So even the old first covenant, God's will, was not inaugurated and ratified and put in force without the shedding of blood. For when every commandment of the law had been read out by Moses to all the people, he took the blood of, a slain, of slain calves and goats together with water and scarlet wool and with a bunch of isop, and sprinkled both the book, the roll of the law and the covenant, um, itself and all the people saying these words, This is the blood 
that seals and ratifies the agreement, the testament, the covenant with God, which God commanded uh, me to deliver to you. And in the same way, he sprinkled with blood both the tabernacle and all the sacred vessels and appliances used in divine worship. In fact, under the law, almost everything is purified by means of blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is neither release from sin and its guilt, nor the remission of due and merited punishment for sins. Nay? Where does that leave us without the blood? By such means, therefore, it was necessary for the earthly copies of the heavenly things to be purified. But the actual heavenly things themselves required far better and nobler sacrifice than these. The actual heavenly things themselves. And that is what I know about Jesus gave his blood. What say that van jou in van jou waarde in wie jy is? Jesus had to give his blood. Because you are not just an earthly thing. You are a heavenly thing. And I don't mean any disrespect by saying thing. See your value by the value of what Jesus paid. You are a heavenly creation. You are God's heavenly plan for earth and for Himself. And therefore Jesus gave His blood in the heavenlies on the perfect mercy seat. For Christ and Messiah has not entered into the sanctuary made with human hands. Only a copy and a pattern and type of the true one. But he has entered into heaven itself. Now to appear in the very presence of God on our behalf. Nor did he enter into the heavenly sanctuary to offer himself regularly again and again. As the high priests enter into the holy of holies every year with the blood not his own. For then would he often have had to suffer over and over again since the foundation of the world. But as it now is, he has once for all at the consummation and close of the ages appeared to put away and abolish sin by his sacrifice of himself. And just at um, as it is appointed for all men once to die, and after that, the certain judgment. Even so it is that Christ, having been offered to take upon himself and bear as a burden the sins of many once and, um, once, and once for all, which appear a se- will appear a second time not to carry any burden of sin, nor to deal with sin, but to bring the full salvation those who... Um, 
but to bring to full salvation those who are eagerly, constantly, and patiently waiting for and expecting Him. Ons allemaal weet, ons allemaal ken dit, het is deel van ons kersverhaal, type van, van ons passieverhaal, dat Jesus, toe hy gesê het, it is finished, het die voorhangsel oopgeskeer. The veil, this very thick veil, that separated man, us, normal people, from the manifest, mysterious, awesome, wonderful presence of God. The very first thing that happened when Jesus gave His life, when the blood was poured out on the mercy seat in heaven, the very first thing that happened is the veil was torn. Why? Because God has opened up His heart, His presence, His mystery, His glory. He has opened up for us to enter into. Because the blood has removed. Oh, I wish we could believe this. <laughs> like, really believe. Not know it like Jan's Viet. I wish we could believe. what the blood has done. Remove from us every sin, every iniquity, every shortcoming. Everything removed from us before God. And not only removed it, but appeased God, paid for it, redeemed us. Betaal vir ons sonde. Completely separated. Made us holy. But betekent holy, separated unto God. Do you, verstaan, do you understand why I believe that we're missing it? That we're not walking in the fullness of it? Because if Christ has made us holy, 
and separated us unto God for the purpose of being in His presence, for the purpose of being united with Him, for the purpose of coming into the fullness of relationship with Him without all that other good that you have to do after Why are we not walking in it? And from church history we see that the only way to walk in it from the very start Jesus said, go and wait for the presence. Wait for the Spirit of God. Actively wait. But we are too happy with the scraps. think we're going to go into worship now and I really trust that the Lord will act what I've said and how I presented it Uh, to be honest I didn't feel very anointed but I trust that in our time of worship the Holy Spirit would come and uh, work in our hearts and give us enough to make us hungry and thirsty. And so I just want to invite you in worship to actively, actively wait on Him. And maybe with a desire in your heart.